0: The Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier and I'm joined as always by my partner in I don't want to say crime because it's not crime. <laughs> but my partner in success. Let's let's frame it that way. Spencer Horn, Spencer, how are you?
2: I'm good, Christian. So excited to be with you. We we skipped a week last week, and I missed you so much. Well, it looks like you were
1: having an amazing time wherever you were. I could see some really nice pictures there on Facebook and stuff. What were you <laughs> up to last week?
2: Well, we had our our family reunion. It's been about 14 months since the last one, but uh, we I have five children, and and then three of them are married, and and all their kids. And we we do our best to get together once a year, but this year we went up to flaming gorge in utah which is just gorgeous it's on the north shore uh, north slope of the winter mountains ashley forest and and flaming gorge is an amazing resort and we we camped i mean i'm talking tent camping and and logistics for 15 people it takes like a day just to load up all that and in months of planning it was it was it was pretty amazing but um and we get there and and two of our our tent poles had fallen out. this is, in forty years, this tent has has never failed us. and it's the spring bar tent that is amazing. It's forty years old and it is in stellar condition. but two poles were missing and you just it, it, we couldn't use it. So Janet, my wife and I basically slept out under the stars for for four nights and it's pretty amazing it's, it's funny because you know there's all these there's of course a lot of bugs when you're out there And one of the benefits of being in the tent is you you know you you don't get the bugs and so you have to spray your face and then you know the kids said, will put this the spray around your, your your sleeping bag and my wife had this nice big uh, cot so the bugs wouldn't crawl up on her or anything like that but i'm on the ground and um and those bugs did not respect my my line that i sprayed they just walked right over well, that's just
1: inexcusable. Those <laughs> bugs they, they have no respect for they uh, have no respect for humanity. They just walk all over you. Well, you're we, you're in their turf, right?
2: That's right. But we had a blast. I mean, saw all kinds of animals. We we went fishing, we caught fish, we went kayaking, we went ATV and four-wheeling. And then we spent the last three days in Deer Valley, Park City, up by Stein Erickson Lodge. We've got this beautiful home. Uh, on Airbnb, and we just wanted to pamper ourselves and shower and hot tub, you know, to recover from the four days out in the wilderness there. And there was nobody out there. I mean, we were we had this entire campground to ourselves. It was uh, right before the 24th of, of July, and we left right on the 24th. So I, maybe people were showing up, but it was it was fantastic. Thanks for asking. That's that's what we did. Lots and of great you... food, camp food.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you, do you Dutch oven?
2: Did we Dutched up? We 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 made jambalaya in the Dutch oven. I made peach cobbler in the Dutch oven. We made lots of stuff. I mean, great. We had we had some good food. We even did, you know did the slumming. We did hot dogs on a stick with uh, wrapped them with you know bread. So you roasted all the bread better on the stick. We had some fun with that.
1: Well, it sounds amazing. And then you come back to reality.
2: Yeah, back to work. But I get
1: to be with you and our guest today. Well, speaking of our guest, I'm super excited for you to introduce her. Spencer Wedding, introduce our guest this week.
2: Thank you so much. i am I'm excited to introduce to you today, Teresa Nordstrom. and Teresa, you know, I just met you recently. And it's been I think a little about a month or so we we met. And I was so impressed with with her, her energy, what she does, how she does it, her approach. And, you know, as we talk about team performance, you got to have the, you know, the best people possible. And Teresa's expertise is really in innovating HR practices and recruiting. And she has over 20 years of experience in, in hiring talent for top tier organizations. I, I you know, I'm going to stick with your, your pro, let me read a little bit of your bio because I think it's, it's very, uh, very impressive. And Um, but she has over 20 years of experience as an executive recruiter and candidate attraction specialist. And she uses creative methods to help hiring leaders and executives enrich their organizations by attracting top talents, which we need to have in all of our organizations. And she has a mission to guide these leaders into getting out of their own way and transform the way they recruit. And we're going to ask her a little bit about that. And she has this grand vision as a matter of fact, i'm going to ask her about this first. Her grand vision is to transform the h r industry as a whole with every client she works with. and And to me, that's music to my ears because I often find that no offense to any of you who are h r experts out there, but typically h r is is the the Department of business prevention, right? I mean they're they're there to to <laughs> to make sure that you know all the risk is is mitigated and and so sometimes, you know, there's this, th- this battle there. Uh, and when it comes to hiring, they get in their own way a lot. And Teresa's going to talk about what not to do. And in her years of helping CEOs and executives uh, recruit talent, she, you, you've seen it all. I mean, Teresa, you're going to tell some of your fun stories and, um, you, you know, some of the roles that, that companies have that seem cursed that you can't seem to fix. She, she helps them do that and reduce the turnover that costs millions of dollars. It's so expensive to replace people which is one of the reasons why team performance and culture is so important. We'll get into that. And you know, she has experience working with big box retail, you know, construction, food manufacturing, technology, and startups. And, and you, you've worked in a variety of industries. You even worked in a, a tech startup that you helped grow uh, to be sold for, I think, $80 million or, or something like that. It was one of the top 20 fast, 20% fastest growing companies in, in the United States. And then it was acquired the team performance podcast. And you started your own business the same year I started mine in 2015, right? Teresa.
3: I guess I didn't know that was the same year, but yes. <laughs>
2: when did you start in 2015?
3: It was, it, when, what month? Yeah. Yeah. It was like the first week of December. So yes. Of 2015.
2: Oh my. Yeah. So I, my five year anniversary is on Monday.
3: No Sunday. Oh, okay. the first, Got it. it's the
2: first of August. It's so that oh, awesome. Sunday. Okay. Yeah, but um, anyway. So you are. We're so excited to hear from how you help companies fix their hiring problems. But I. But I want to start with. So you are an HR practitioner. Yes. I mean, you're you're a member yep. of the uh, of, of the community, and yes. so you're speaking from the inside and not like an outsider like me that's casting dispersions, Right. Sure. When you say you want to uh, transform HR. What do you mean? What What's the problem in your opinion?
3: Yeah. So, you know, honestly, so I, I, you know, really I am focused on talent acquisition and the recruiting department, but I can, I will go outside of that if I need to, especially with smaller companies. But, you know, one of the things it, it's, it's really coming to a head right now. I mean, on LinkedIn, if you go there, so many candidates are frustrated and actually um, last year, when I was talking to clients, um, business partners are frustrated. They're frustrated frustrated with their HR departments. But you know, right now, recruiting actually hasn't changed a ton since honestly the nineteen nineties. I mean, they're regurgitating job descriptions, and they're just they they've engineered over engineered the recruiting department, right? So they they post job descriptions through what we call an applicant tracking system, an ATS. They spit out these job descriptions, you know, on, on the web. And then recruiters handle anywhere, honestly, minimum of 20, 20 jobs up to literally sometimes 80 jobs. And right now that is way too many for them to effectively source a job. And so, you know, I am, you know, people want to be recruited with um, with respect one thing, but we want to have a quick process and Companies or recruiters really should be marketers. and a lot of a lot of people are talking about recruitment marketing. I don't know about you, but if you actually go out and look at indeed or any of the top recruiting sites, you don't see any marketing in recruiting. And so I am really trying to revolutionize at least the companies I work with and have recruiting be about marketing their jobs and so that you can actually tell the story of a of a position. And speak to candidates. And that's what I really do is, one, I tell the story of of the role of the company. So you start attracting the right talent, um, you know, to, to the candidates. And so, one, it's about attracting, and here's the key, about detracting the right candidates and so so, so, so this
2: is so important. So what you're doing basically is you're baiting your hook to find the right people and repelling the wrong people. Because yeah. what what I heard you say and and I see the same thing with with HR experts is yeah. you put a job description out there, right? And they have to put all these discla- it, It's just a uh, you know this many years of experience, and it's basically the job description bullet point. Yeah. And people are looking at that blah blah blah, and so people are blindly and automatically responding to that ad, and you're getting. Everybody. So you get a hundred yeah, applicants yeah. And, and the HRP are
3: actually yeah, yes. they have to sort out the chat. Yeah, and here and here's the deal. Actually, recently, on I mean, there is <clears throat> there is so many people complaining on LinkedIn about it. So one, you have candidates complaining. Um, one and secondly, you have recruiters complaining about oh my gosh, all these applicants are applying and they're applying for jobs that they're not qualified. Yes, because one, you're not articulating the job appropriately because you're, I going not say too lazy, but you're not taking the time up front to truly understand what you're recruiting and you're not telling the story appropriately. Um, and the candidates, you know what? They're just like, oh my God, I need a job. I need a job. I need a job, right? And, and then yep. thirdly, the hiring leaders are so freaking frustrated because they're not getting the right talent. That, you know what they're doing? I actually have a CFO friend that says, Teresa, it's just easier to call you and she'll pay me thirty thousand dollars to find her a hundred thousand dollar person. right? So I mean, it's honestly, it's an entire system fail. And you know, there's not just one easy answer to it. There's a lot of things that and not, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed within there, but it's not rocket science, honestly. It's really, really not. And I think there, I believe there are ways that can, you know, you can change several different factors within there. One, we can understand the roles up front. We can then tell the story better. And we still need to use recruiters sometimes, but I believe that we're not being stewards of the business. I think we should We are business um, problem solvers. And right now we're being, we're being checklist HR with people and, um, you know, honestly, I don't think CEOs and business leaders, I think they're settling, they're settling, settling for mediocre practices and there's so much better we can do and darn it. I want to show them what more they can have.
2: Yeah. And, and so why do you think they, they settle? I mean,
3: they I, haven't I, seen better, you know, yeah, you know I, I, they really haven't. And, um, so You know, I helped sell that it was a, you know, we were the third fastest growing in Nebraska, top 20% in in the, in the country. And, you know, my CEO actually had to kind of be forced to hire me because, um, his, his controller at the time had, had worked with me in a prior company and she's like, you got to hire, higher level HR. So they brought me in. Um, you know, we, we saved, honestly, this company was only 13 million and we were on track to spend. One million dollars in recruiting fees—a thirteen million dollar company in one year.
2: Oh my goodness!
3: I know. I mean, that's that's a lot. We spent forty thousand dollars in two years. After that,
2: well, that's a much better uh, CEO would have, would have been very very happy. So, so here's the, the salary that they hired you for.
3: <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I'm kind of like. But I think, and now that's—is that always going to happen? No. But I truly believe that so many especially small middle market companies they don't they don't realize that you know i can hire a $55,000 hr kind of benefits person but if you spend a little bit more money and you know hire someone at a little bit higher level that knew how to truly source and and you know it could be mentored at a different level there's so many more things that that individual could do they don't they don't know what they don't know and Um, They're too afraid to invest in that HR person. And um, honestly, here's the other deal. How many HR professionals do you know? And like I said, I'm an HR professional. There are not many HR professionals that are great at recruiting. You know what they want to do? Recruiting? Wait, that's recruiting over there. I'm just going to call the recruiter.
0: The Team Performance Podcast.
3: Which is one of the
2: reasons I think they struggle because, you know, you say they, they don't know better, but I think a lot of them are overwhelmed because some of them are over their heads. And, you know, the work of HR never ends. So to, to, to be fair, they have so much on their plates. And when we have to replace somebody, that means now we're down a person or we're going to be down a person. So everybody has to fill that gap. Right. So not only are we now having to do more work, but the, the work that it takes to hire and go through all that on top of everything they have to do it can be overwhelming. And so that's why they, they, I, in my opinion, they yeah. want to just defer that to, to the recruiting. Answer,
3: here's the deal. There is so much HR talent out there. I am telling you the the pool of HR talent, even last year in the talent war is out there and they are settling. I guarantee you, uh, you know, I've been at, you know, I was head of HR for a construction company, one of the top, you know, they were a top 40 electrical engineering construction company. They seldom use recruiters. And they were, and you know what? You know, I developed a a team of talent there. You just, you have to have a visionary. And if you, you can train an HR person. The pool of talent is there. um, And you can get the, you can reap the benefits of it. Um, I just don't think they've seen it and they're they're afraid to invest in it, but the the value is there. Let's talk about that patterns. value.
1: Um, yep. What is the impact? What is the impact of having an effective recruiting strategy versus mm-hmm. having a mediocre strategy? What are the downstream impacts to the organization? Sure.
3: Yeah, I mean, so there's several different things. I want. I think you know one of the things that um, so the the CEO that I work with it. Um, at the startup at Venaissance and that, I mean, I think that, you know, one thing is, is that we upgraded the entire leadership team. And so think about private equity companies, right? So many of them are saying that they are upgrading their HR teams um, because in order for them to sell their leadership and upgrading their leadership team, that's what strategic buyers are looking for, right? So I don't know, I can't give you a dollar obviously, but, when they are being look, looked at, um, to, when people are looking at them to buy, the leadership teams are what they're looking at to buy. And having an HR leader who can assess and coach that leader team, you know, um, it's priceless. And the, cur- the, cur- the current HR teams that a lot of them are buying, um, can't do that. Here's another thing, do you know we all, um, I have to be careful with this. Um, the other thing, so you can cut this out. The other thing that I think that um, an HR leader um, who can can operate at a different level is for those smaller companies, they are just checking the list. So one of the things is, is that one of the companies I was at, um, there were some decisions made that looked like they were daily like, oh, benefits and things. The, The contracts that were signed had impact on whether that company was going to be acquired. And the CEO of the new company that was acquiring was in on that contract on the last day before we acquired. That benefits contract literally had impact on whether that company was being acquired. So little things actually are making a big impact in benefits. Um, so I think that the the day in and day out stuff of things that look like they're checklist things have dramatic impact because of the benefits have extreme costs, you know, Um, even little things like um, we had people still on our benefits a year later that were not getting taken off because they weren't strategically and like, they weren't reviewing and and looking at it um, from a, uh, they weren't looking at the financials, right. They weren't, they weren't business owners. I, you know, I, am, I was a steward of the business. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't just, okay, I'm getting payroll out every day.
2: So that's I the, the difference business. between typical HR an employee mentality and an owner mentality. And I think that's one of the things that yeah. makes you you different, and it's interesting what you talked about a company being positioning themselves to sell, especially right now. VC, venture capital, uh, are, they're, they're buying up companies left and right because a lot of companies are struggling and, and they're wanting sure. to buy them. But if, if I'm an investor and I'm looking at a company that we want to grow, does the, does the executive team have the bandwidth to scale? Yes. Can they handle more? Can they grow? And if they don't have that, then the company has no value because that's the value of, of the company. It's not the bricks and mortar. Yeah. It's the people.
3: Yes. And I think so to go on, Christian, the other things that come up are I help those leaders have crucial conversations. So we all know that um, some leaders that are able to help build a company to 10 million can't necessarily lead that company at 50 million and 100 exactly. million. A very, very common issue. Um, and, you know, the those HR people need to be able to help. Um, have those conversations, those tough conversations, and not just be a bystander. And there were definitely some um, challenges in the company that I orchestrated. And you know I was I was the glue of and managing some very, very difficult conversations. and honestly, um, I was pivotal in bringing strategic plans together because a lot of uh, in, in this business and, and you know maybe other businesses, they are very good entrepreneurs. And as um, and I'm speaking to more of private companies or like startup companies, and I can speak to larger companies as well because I've been there, but um, they are entrepreneurs running different departments. Um, I have been fortunate in my cases where I know how to build a strategic plan. I know how to build cross-functional teams. And, you know, honestly, a great HR leader, you don't, I mean, you bring an HR leader that's been at a decent-sized company We do that because we are running departments that have, you know, I had a thousand people at, you know, at some of my companies, right. At 50 some, 60 some stores at Best Buy. I can bring a team together and help them run business plans. So, and they don't, but they don't know how to do that in that size of company. They are used to running a business in a room. So there's, I think there's so much value in even helping them run like uh, cascading goals. I think that's another common issue with a small business is they don't know how to cascade goals. So that, I'm kind of focused on the smaller company right now. But those were some of the the red flags and barriers that this company was having. We were scaling during um, Obamacare, um, like because we were a um, system behind Obamacare.
1: So I have a I have a question. Well, I guess a comment and a question. Yeah. So if I understand what you're saying correctly. Companies can benefit greatly from having HR leadership that thinks strategically, not necessarily transactionally, which is what a lot of compensation benefits, payroll people, you know, yes. so that it's kind of the, the core HR thing. Yep. And then that leads me to the, to the question. Earlier, you said that from a recruitment perspective, your job is really to market the company. Yep. And that assumes that the company is worth marketing. In other words, you've got, you've got something tangible uh, and sincere and authentic to sell to prospective hires. So from a, from a, from an HR perspective, how can you help shape the culture of the organization so that it actually becomes attractive and it becomes easy to sell to prospective hires?
3: Yeah. So a couple of things. So first of all, the company doesn't have to be awesome and sexy. I mean, so it, obviously it is super easy to market a company that is like this awesome, cool, sexy startup. So a couple of things. I think that one. Um, so I'm going to start with that. I think every company has a story and a lot of a players love a challenge. I was recruiting for a company uh, that let me just tell you, didn't have a cool, didn't have. They were they were struggling. Their stock was challenged. Guess what though? A players love to fix things, and if you market that company in a way, they're like, "Oh my god, I want to go fix that" because they want to be the hero. And so, one, it's all about the messaging. That's one thing. So I think that first of all, um, that's one thing that you can do. And so I think it's about messaging. So secondly, I think that. Um, there is, from a culture standpoint, as an HR leader, I would look at first do we have some ultimately, ultimate um, internal issues that um, we would address? And uh, sometimes some companies have some, um, uh, uh, you know, people challenges that they may not want to address. I would probably challenge those head on. So I do think um, the best leaders would hire an HR leader that would help them um, uh, uh, challenge those sacred cows internally, right? So that's one thing.
0: The Team Performance Podcast.
2: When you say challenge those sacred cows, is that is that progressive discipline or uh, uh, sacrificing the cow?
3: I, you know, I, I, it depends on the situation. One, I'd understand the situation, right? Um, I'd understand the risks of the company and, um, you know, as an HR leader, it's not my decision, but I would definitely let the leader know what the risks are to that leader and the organization, you know, honestly, um, you know, I would have a, I would, I would understand the situation and I would help the leader understand the risk to, um, the organization, um, and, you know, individuals and, you know, potentially the life of the organization. And they'd have to make that decision would be my decision. I mean, ultimately, right. (laughs) But I'd let them know the risk. (laughs) And I've been in that situation before. So, um, so yeah. So, so with that though, I think, um, you know, you, you understand those, but then, you know, one, you, you know, you decide, you know, What are the things, you know, short and long-term that you can make an impact on, right? So going to a company, you understand that employees are really frustrated that they're not getting employee bonuses and they're working their butts off and, you know, you're going to have people at risk for leaving and they're, okay, then what do we do about that? Um, Okay. We, we, we talk about it. We put a plan in place. I'm very big about being transparent. You know, um, and you know, we we put a plan in place with that type of thing. Um, we talk about, we talk to leaders about the communication plans and um,
2: and
3: start leadership first, right? Get the right leader in place, and you know, we start recruiting those like right, right leaders. Replace the leaders that are not um, you know, maybe working, but. I would start at the top with the, the leaders, um, you know, with the CEO or whoever I may be working with on that. So,
1: but yeah. You know, it's interesting uh, talking about CEOs. So I, I, I do another podcast, which uh, looks mm-hmm. back at the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter Games. Mm-hmm. And I just last week had uh, a very long conversation with the head of human resources for those games, wow. Ed Einen, and um, the impact that Mitt Romney had when he came on to work on the games was was really really substantial. You know, he you and he, and what you said reminded me of this because you talked about A people type A people wanting a challenge, and that was a challenge because at that time the organizing committee was four hundred million dollars in the red. Uh, wow. Didn't look like they were going to be able to to put on uh, a games in the aftermath of an IOC scandal that had really rocked um, the rocked the organizing committee and caused a change in leadership. Uh, but he came in very early on and established this culture, and they created these guiding principles. And mm-hmm. and actually, it leads me to a question for you. You know, sometimes yeah. you see mission, vision, value statements, or guiding principles that are oftentimes just things that are on the wall that nobody really pays attention to. Yep. But in the Salt Lake Organizing Committee, I can tell you personally, that those guiding principles were actually important. And oh. I was curious, you know, from your standpoint, with so much experience in this realm, what is it that uh, allows, uh, you know, something like, guiding principles to actually become really important and ingrained in a, in, in one company, whereas in another company, they may not be considered at all, or they'd be looked at a bit cynically.
3: Yeah. So I actually, I kind of laugh at it. It's because I just did a, uh, I just did a video not too long ago. And it was like something about lame, lame values. <laughs> like I said, quit, quit using lame values. And um, over 50% of a fortune 500 companies have integrity as one of their top values. Well, I think integrity should be honestly just a price of admission, right? So, um, one is, I think they need to be very well described. Like what does, if you are going to use integrity, like what are actual behaviors? So that is one of the first things that you need to do is like, like, what does it like look like and feel like in the company? Like, can you actually tell like, um, like one of the, actually, I have, I'm trying to look, I'm looking around my office here because I actually have ours that we did. I created it at one of our companies here, but it's like, um, puts the company first, you know, um, um, you know, assumes positive intent. So I think, first of all, actions do speak louder than words, and they do need to be lived. Um, I think employees need to be evaluated on them. And you know what? A great example is, is that if your best salesperson or your best developer abuses one of them, you need to act on it. So at one of the companies I was at, actually it was Best Buy, um, I can remember a day where we were at, you know, we had big sales events and one of our best sales per- people did something when we were on a big event. And we came out of a break and that guy was no longer here, was no longer there. And, you know, we acted on behaviors that were out of line. And, um, so I think leaders need to obviously live and breathe by them, but I think the description, so they have to be like, um, they have to be like actual actionable. I think another thing is, is that like, they need to stand out. Like, don't, I'm not a, so one of the things about me, I'm not a generic person. Like, don't go with like, I mean, I'm just personally not the person that's like, let's go with. Customer focus, loyalty, and um, integrity. Well, what the heck does that mean, right? Yeah, like, right. You know, it's how, it's like,
2: how do you embody those those principles? Yeah. Here and make it, you know, it, you can't. It, it has to be you, because if not, then or they they dismiss it, and and they, and therefore it doesn't. It, it becomes less important in the decision making process. And I love what you're saying because you have to hire and fire. In accordance with those values, and if you're not using those in your recruiting, I think it's a huge mistake.
3: Yeah. So one of the best ways that I've seen them come up from is um, so a lot of times it'll be um, where people like so for example, if you it depends on what size of company you are, right? And I don't know where they were created for this company, but you know someone doesn't create them like we're gonna go create them in a room, right? But a lot of times it's like in a company who maybe is at a smaller stage might go okay what are the behaviors that we really are living by and we agree upon those behaviors. And maybe then they make a phrase around them um, where it's like, we're, you know, always going to choose disruption first. I mean, I don't know. It could be something around that. Right. Um, But then there's like certain behaviors that they can actually live by underneath. But the thing is, is that there's probably agreement around it, but not everyone under the whole sun. But the thing is, is that, there is a group in the beginning that it's like, it's like their culture was built on it in the beginning. So I don't know like how they decided theirs in the beginning, but probably had some type of theme around them. So.
0: The team performance podcast.
1: I'll give you, I'll give you the, the story from Ed.
3: Yeah. I'd love to <laughs> at, know. At the
1: Salt Lake organizing committee. So, so Ed comes on and he, of who course is he? this is, so Ed Aynan was the senior vice president of human resources oh, and right. international relations at the Salt Lake organizing committee for the yeah. 2002 Olympic winter and Paralympic winter games. And uh, he comes on not being a part of this industry previously, but being an HR executive in, in uh, previous um, companies yeah. and so on. And, uh, you know, for the first little bit, he's just trying to learn. He's just absorbing things. Yeah. And. They had an IOC Coordination Commission meeting, and there was someone there from Lillehammer, the Lillehammer 1994 Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and he had dinner with them. And this person said, you just need to keep things really, really simple, because it's hard for people to remember a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And so he went to the drawing board and he said, OK, for HR, our mission is going to be four words. Best games workforce ever. These four words guided everything that they did. Yeah. And if you talk to Ed himself, or you talk to Fraser Bullock, or uh, all the other uh, executives, and many of us as well who worked in those uh, in those games, yeah, they will tell you that working that games was the pinnacle of their careers. Uh huh. And and it all started from these four words. Yeah. But but they let these four words. Drive everything, you know, huh. all of the guiding principles that they created, yeah. all of the policies and pre- policies and procedures, uh, all of the programs they put in in place to retain talent and not let it leave because the games end and everybody's looking for another job. So, sure, right? lots yeah. of people leave; they jump ship before the games happen. Yeah. They put in a lot of things to try to keep people together, and uh, I thought they did a, a marvelous job. But it all stemmed from that very simple statement that he came uh. up with, which was best games workforce ever that's our mission
3: wow just simple Hmm. interesting yeah i mean i suppose like a a statement like that then you know you're not going to slack on talent right because you know the talent has to fully be committed you know to deliver um stay all the way through all those types of things so yeah how long were those jobs like i mean how long did it take you guys to prep and like how long did the whole thing process take
1: well, the games were awarded in 1995 and the games were held in 2002. So there's a seven-year period generally to stage sure. on Olympic okay. Games. Yeah. But uh, when it starts, it's very, very, very small team. And that team is usually a, a, a very small core of finance yeah. and HR and accounting. Well, I said accounting, accounting, and finance, HR, yeah. a little bit of IT, but not too much. And um, then some government relations, community relations, people, it's pretty, pretty small. And then they start looking at some of the the long-term venue development. And then over time it grows. So uh, Ed Einen, who I would mentioned, he joined the organizing committee in 1998. So it had been around for roughly three years. um, So he was there for four years of the seven years. And that's when the majority of people are hired. Ed was employee number 60. And, (laughs) you know, in the end, you end up with a workforce of thousands and thousands of people, and you know I'd say uh, two to three thousand full-time staff, plus another six or wow. seven uh, yeah, cool part hard-time staff, Gosh. plus another twenty-six thousand volunteers, and then there's wow. our, you know thousands of contractors uh, aside from that. But so we're gonna, uh, yeah, he was planning that's gonna 60. happen
2: again, though, right, Christian? Uh, yeah,
1: hopefully we get them again. But the, this podcast is not about the Olympic Games. Let's get back to, the, <laughs> to our HR stuff. <laughs> well, um, be, games are fun. I mean, I, and and I, I can talk about those all day, but um, I cool. want to be uh, yeah. conscious of your time here, Teresa. Um, that would be cool. I know Spencer's got questions. Spencer?
2: Well, you did those, those were great comments, uh, Christian. And, and, you know, think about... <sighs> You just talked about some of the things that that you do to help rectify the, the yeah. problems with within companies, but so creating values, you know, fixing HR, uh, uh, marketing the positions, not just put it, telling the story of your company. Those are some of the things I heard you say that, mm-hmm. that HR can do to to recruit better talent. What else yeah. can a company do to attract the best and, and keep? The best talent?
3: Well, I'm a huge fan of employer referral. I'm kind of a freak on it. Just so you know, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of weird about it. I've done it. At, I've done a done it at three different companies. Um, and actually, the company where I had I saved a million dollars, which we were hiring .NET developers, and like I mean, that was a really tough time to hire 2000. You know, what is it, 13 to 15. Um, you know, we did it mainly through employee referral. We started with a 25% higher of employee referral, which honestly, most companies would be like, that's great. We went to 75% employee referral and we, we held it there. And, um, you know, and I, I always, this is kind of funny. I always say employee referral programs don't work. Employee referral cultures do. And, um, you know, I really didn't realize, I was like, oh, I'm, I did employee referral at, um, at CPG company. It was that before too. I went in there and I was like, oh, you know, because one of the departments I had, which is, um, was actually, so I, I, supported finance and there was like 1300 people in finance. And I supported one department, which was the funnel for accounting and finance internal. And I was also head of the finance development program, which was one of the top 20 finance development programs in the country. And I did support one of the, the head guys, which one of the executives who was known to be super, super difficult. And uh, the recruiting manager came to me, like literally took me out to lunch um, like two weeks after I got there, she goes, you gotta, you gotta lower this guy's bar. His bar is way too low or too high. And I was like, he's like the executive, you're like a recruiter. Come on, man. Right. So it's funny. Um, because they, they only had like a, a head kind of like 36, right. But they'd never been like over like 31, 32. So we like did this. I go, well, if you're not an employee referral, cause I had, I'd given away a Harley at my last place, but that's like 20 grand. That's not really a big deal. Right. But anyways, um, I said, she goes, yeah, yeah, we've done that. She goes, it doesn't work. I said, what'd you do? We sent out an email. I was like, it's not an email? I'm like, you know, and so, and honestly, many, many people think that employee referral doesn't work. And here's the deal: it's 50%, employee referrals come in 50% faster, 25% more profit. Okay, just, you know, 25% more profit. There's all these studies that show, you know, I mean, better retention, you know, all these different factors. By the way, just so you know, you can actually improve diversity through employee referral, because I can pay for diverse care. I mean, I can give bonuses based on diversity, you know, and actually I can teach people about diversity because I can tell them, you know, it's like, okay, we really want to improve our diversity. You know, you can actually use it as a positive diversity culture. thing. So based on the ConAgra thing, we actually got staff for the first time ever in this department in creating an employee referral culture. And all we did it was have like a contest between departments, like giving away iPads and stuff. It was kind of silly.
2: Where's the Harley giveaway? I want to know what so, that. Is. So that's
3: that was so that was a construction company, and um, I don't have my stats from that company to be honest with you. And that was a really tough one. So um, we were in a community, very small town, Iowa. We were over fifty percent. Um, uh, they they lived on the road. They were electricians. I mean, talk about. I mean, like Northwest Iowa. Um, electricians that travel for a living and um but here's the deal I, you know tough to, you know, to recruit
2: for something like that
3: oh yeah like the, the president came to me Teresa. did you find the you find a trap door of electricians i'm like eh? but you know actually we call it joiner Eye jtr um and we have these cool shirts made black with like these orange i mean people like wear them all the time right but the funny thing is is that um I think I saw someone wearing one hat too long. It was hilarious. Like this is like years, years ago, over 10 years ago. Um, but then this is actually even funnier. Then I had like because here's the other thing about employee referral. You make a culture of it. So obviously do fun with a purpose. Most a lot of nature people are like, let's have a let's have a pizza party for what? Like, don't have don't like have fun with a purpose, is what I say. And um, we actually even have to so one of the things is I do a lot of spontaneous things with um employee referral, right? And one of the things we did after that is we had, because we did that for one company, there was five different companies. um, And after that, we did, um, oh, what do we call it? A full hand, a full hand, like a deck, because what guys do, because, you know, they're mostly guys, they like to drink beer and um, play cards. So we did a, a full deck, a full hand or something. It's like a card thing. And we had all of our presidents, in a in a bar, which is kind of a big deal in a dry community, and uh, we had them playing cards, you know. And by the way, a this full is full house. Actually,
2: you had a full yeah, house I don't know,
3: full here. House. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's about creating a culture, and I mean, helping people understand one of the big things about employee referral is one, you don't just pay for hires; you pay for quality of candidates. So, like. If someone gives you a full a quality candidate and they don't get hired, they got a key to be in the bucket for the for the Harley, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to reward them for engagement. And then um, uh, the other thing is, is I've done a lot of spontaneous things. Like on Black Friday, I'm like, hey, this is for a different county. On Black Friday, I'm like, okay, anyone that gets a video interview by the, you know, by Thursday gets $250 to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I get like three interviews for like this one position. So it's like, you have to, it's a culture. And um, I think, you know, people, recruiters would rather just call me up and go, hey Teresa, find this job and pay me 50 grand. And I'm like, so why, would, here's the deal about culture. Why wouldn't you want to spend time up front building your employee refer, referral culture which will increase your culture, like literally culture of your company, where they can have fun. You know what I mean? And you're going to get actual results of better profit, better retention rates, and you're going to save money for your company.
0: The Team Performance Podcast.
2: So I have a question about that. So how how do you handle the fact that some employees are threatened by new talent coming in, or maybe they don't want the best talent coming in because that might make them look bad or put pressure on them. I've
3: never had that. I mean, I've I've never had that. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, here's the deal. The other thing is, is right now, is the, why on earth would any company not be focused on employee referral right now? If people are unemployed right now, I want to help you find a job, Spencer. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel for people not having a job. The other thing is, is that people are like, "Oh my God, they're gonna refer their, you know, their buddy who's a dink." Right? Here's the deal: it's my job as an employer to assess the candidate, and I'm not super weird as a leader going. I'd rather. So honestly, I I preach this, and I'm a. I. One, I know that not everyone's gonna be a refer referral uh, referral refer person. Like right? like I'm a talker, right? Teresa's is going to be the type of person that refers. Christian, wow. did, you, did you guess that, that
1: she's a talker? Uh, I had a slight hint. I wasn't sure. Right, I, I,
2: I love it, you Teresa. It. If, oh, me if, too, if, absolutely. If, you know, if, you, if, if you're listening to this and you don't know Teresa, you got to go to her website and watch her videos. She does right. amazing videos. They're so much fun, but keep going. Okay,
3: right, so here's the deal though. But, so one, we know that not everyone's going to refer people. We get that. but. Amazing enough, so at ConAgra, I had a I had a tax director. She worked at a big four. She had never referred anyone. We rolled on employee referral. This gal started, she was paying for the big four. She started referring people because we had never really talked about employee referral. We had sent out emails, but it doesn't engage with them. And one of the things that's important about employee referral as well is you have to help people go, hey. I'm hiring a developer and here's the type of titles they may be in. By the way, when you're when you're out, you know, just having lunch with friends, maybe your friend has a a son that might be looking for a job or might not be happy. So it's helping them make connections. And guess what? They want to help their friends, kids, or maybe they have a maybe they have a friend that lives out east and they want to bring their kids back home. So. It's, it's helping people make connections. And that's what people don't understand. So I'm big on building employee referral cultures. And so, so many people think well, oh, playing referral doesn't work. I go, well, how did you roll it out?
2: So it truly is about creating culture and, yeah. and shifting it. The whole HR mindset be from just, you know, putting out a job description. And really what I'm hearing you say is a lot of organizations are just lazy because they have this process and they've got to to involve the entire team. Is that what I'm hearing?
3: And and here's the deal. It can, it it can impact the culture. Like I would have people stop me in the hallway. They're like, Oh my God, Teresa, I got this person. And so, you know, it, and, and it is part of my personality, but you know what? I'm not the only one driving it. Like I think that what companies need to understand one, I can find you a Teresa and two. Teresa can teach other people to drive these cultures. Don't yeah. assume that I, hello, I'm not that good, you know I mean there are other people out there don't you know, don't
2: I, 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 I just have one one last question I'm sure Christian yeah. will have one, but at the beginning, you said right now candidates are frustrated i i the only thing I can imagine is is that there you got I've talked to summer career one in the healthcare industry that had like eighteen thousand applicants right now, so I would imagine. Some of it is—it's tough to find a job right now. But what what do you see as candidates being frustrated? What what is the cause of that?
3: Yeah, it's too bad. Um, so the cause I believe um, is a couple things. So there are company. So I think there are recruiters that aren't so good, and then there is the other problem is is companies are not setting their recruiters up for success. Recruiters have too many jobs on their plate. They are overwhelmed. Also, they don't have their systems, their applicant tracking systems set up appropriately. The other issue that is happening is there are actually companies that will actually go apply for me and just apply for every job out there. And, if, and then they will make me pay $10,000 if they get me hired. So I have, a, I have an SVP job of NIT open and I get people that apply for a customer service job applying for that job. Really I mean, so we are here's the deal applicants are feeding their own problem. I mean, it's just a big it's a pressure, but I do think that um so it's kind of a self speeding like yeah, issue, yeah. but I do think that you know I think it's a branding issue for some companies, it's gonna come back to bite them, so you know, if I'm a company and I'm trying to fill jobs. It's like I have to decide, am I okay with the brand that I'm portraying to my candidates right now? Because, hey, company, you know, your recruiters, they, you got to really think about this. These candidates are just being, it's like candidates, Your most, uh, I hope most recruiters, not all of them, maybe 50% of the recruiters really do want to serve you but because, like, how easy, how hard would it be to reply to me? It's actually really hard when you have a 1,000 candidates per job, and I have 40 to 80 jobs. Actually, it's really hard, to be honest
2: with so you. So your process is is to streamline that and make sure that you eliminate a lot of those extraneous applicants so that you can be more efficient and do the best work for your clients.
3: But, and here's the other thing is, is that I think that companies have to decide how many jobs can a recruiter handle. One, companies, are those jobs really open? Here's the other issue candidates are frustrated with. Jobs have been open since January. Are they really freaking open? So it's like companies go through those jobs and close them out. But on the other hand, Indeed and some of these sites keep aggregating them for months. I mean, it's like a, it's a, it's a, like a layered sandwich issue. It's, it's it seems really like in today's,
2: in today's hiring market, that should not be happening.
3: I know it's, but I think you know it's, you know ultimately employers look at you know what's in your control and what can you do. Right. It's like, am I representing my company the best? And so all I could is, if I was the hiring leader, you know, and I was an employer, it's like, what can I do? And you have to self reflect on that right now and decide, you know, can I close out my job as soon as possible? But As an employer, I'm not closing that job until I fill it. You know why? Because I don't know if that person's going to show up.
0: The Team Performance Podcast. Thank you so much
1: for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have
0: you.
3: Yeah, it was fun. So awesome. Good to meet you,
1: Christian. Very nice to meet you too, Teresa. Now, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing and how you might be able to help them, what's the best way for them to contact you?
3: Yeah, so I'm on www talentco.inc.com, but I'm very active on LinkedIn. So um, I do a lot of video and so I would love to have them interact with me there. Um, So, yeah. And I do a little bit different type of video. So come, come visit me there as well.
2: Absolutely. How about you, Spencer? They're a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you, Christian. Spencer Horn, contact me at spencer at altiumleadership.com. That's my email or visit altiumleadership.com website and uh christian how can we find you uh you can find me at
1: uh c at gp4.com that's g-p-f-o-u-r.com or my website gp4.com well teresa thank you again for joining us spencer thank you again for introducing us listeners please yeah. like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll see you again next week